Let's continue in a posture of worship as we hear the, the sermon text from Ephesians 4. The Apostle Paul writes, I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive, and he gave gifts to his people. And when it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must... Therefore, no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joint and knitted together by every ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. So good to be with you. My name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmanuel, and we are thrilled that you're with us today. Thank you so much, Ban, for leading us into that um, really meaningful time. It's um, just good to sing with people and to hear your voices. <laughs> um, it really blesses me. Um, we're going to, uh, if you're wondering, where's the announcements? We already did them. We did them at the front of the service, and we're trying to do that to create a bit more of like a sort of a seamless uh, sort of expression where we go right from worship into teaching and communion and just sort of have like one big movement. Anyway, um, we may switch it back at some point, but right now, if you want to know what's going on, um, you know, just, just come to church on time. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, okay, so we're going to start this week on, um, uh, with what is going to be like a five-week sort of dive into uh, um, the life of the church that we read about in the book of Ephesians. It's where the lectionary has us, so we're not like leaving the lectionary. We're just camping out in this book, and I think it's a really good time for us to do that because um, it's August and we're just sort of, life is starting up again. And if I'm honest, there was something kind of awkward about our graduation because like we graduated and we're like, here we are, we're Emmanuel. And then everyone went on vacation. It was like launching down a chute and landing in a lazy river and which was great. I think we all enjoyed it. But um, now we're like, we're back. There's a sense of like new beginnings. Um, so, you know, school's starting up if you have kids, and, and you already know that, um, the next week or two. And so it's just like it's a, it's a time for us to be thinking now, okay, so what are we going to do with one another? How are we going to be uh, a church? What's it going to be like 
to be a part of this community. Um, so we're looking predominantly at community for the next several weeks because that's what Paul is writing about. If you, if you read the New Testament letters, you, it becomes pretty clear that the, the writers of these letters was, were not predominantly worried or, or focused on individual behavior. They were actually far more concerned with corporate life, what the people were doing with one another. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. And I also want to just be super upfront and say, and as a part of like sort of an act, an act uh, a practical application of this, we're going to be talking about neighborhood groups a lot, which we'll be launching in September. And we're going to be giving you opportunities over the next month to sign up, to host, to facilitate, or to participate in neighborhood groups. And this is not like a five-week series that's a promotion for neighborhood groups. Neighborhood groups are just our best attempt at trying to program community for 500 people, which is imperfect. We know it's imperfect. Um, you can't program community. What it is at its best is organic. And yet, um, we live in the city, and we live on top of one another, and yet we all still manage to find ways of being so divided and separated from one another. And so we're trying to find ways to put us in circles with one another where we can begin to form this thing that was so heavy on Paul's heart, and I believe on Jesus' heart, uh, which is why he formed the sort of church that he did. So when we talk about community, though, I know like there's already some resistance in the room as soon as I say that, because I'm busy, or I, I've tried this before, or, and it didn't work. And I'll just say like out of the gate, like, I, like, if, like very few things have hurt me in this life like community. Um, community has been a very painful place in my, it's been very good and rich, but also I've been deeply wounded in community. I've had things that I thought were being said and shared in confidence used against me later on and rallied people against me. And I've, I've, I thought I, I was going into a safe space and then it turned out I was in a toxic space. And, and just to be clear, like, I'm not like the victim always here. I've always also taken my turn being a relational wrecking ball in these spaces. I've been manipulative and angsty and, and, and controlling and, and, and all sorts of stuff. And so um, when we talk about community, we're talking about something that for me is like, has like a really, like a lot of vision around it and beauty and also a lot of like scar tissue, uh, if I'm being really honest. And um, I find myself now like as a 40-year-old man with fewer deep friends than at any point in my life. Uh, and I think that's just because like you start to get hurt and you start to struggle to trust people. And when we talk about community, we're talking about putting ourselves in environments where you're going to ultimately need to trust people in order for it to work. And that could be something that's really hard, hard for us. I, I, uh, Jenny said this years ago, and it stuck with me because it's so perfect. I feel relationally a lot like Edward Scissorhands. Like I want very deeply to like, does that make, was that too old of a reference? It was a movie that came out in the 90s, I think. Anyway, um, I, it's like, it's this idea of like, I want intimacy, I want connection, I want to be vulnerable, but I end up, I feel like hurting the people by trying to draw close to them. And, and, and it's not that people don't want to be friends, or it's just the reality of like, this is hard. It's hard, and we carry a lot of, a lot of stuff into these relationships that can make it um, scary. And yet, I cannot read the pages of the scriptures and, and try to walk in the way of Jesus and feel like there is any sufficient alternative to this. It's like community is what it's meant to be. Um, as, soon as, the New as soon as the church uh, was planted around the world, communities were formed. It's not a solo sport. It was never meant to be done in isolation. It was meant to be done in circles, in homes, around tables with people. It's almost like it doesn't work outside of that really well. It's actually made for it. And so we're going to look at it, we're going to talk about it, and talk about how messy it is and how hard it is, and at the same time try to hold on to some hope and faith as a people that it's where God's leading us for good reason. 
um, because it is, it is what is coming out of his heart. So I have four headings that we'll look at today uh, through, and the first is simply this. Community takes work. Paul addresses this at the very beginning. He says community is hard, uh, requires, he says, gentleness and faithfulness and patience, humility. Um, it says make every effort to, to uh, maintain unity, to bear with one another. These are words that are about work. Community takes work, which is really good and honest. It's hard to actually have unity with people. It is not hard to have uniformity with people. If you want to have uniformity, just find a little tribe of people who all think like you and become a fundamentalist so that if anyone tries to get in with their bad ideas, you can push them out. And then you can just relish forever in the reverberations of your echo chamber. And it's a really sweet experience. But uniformity is not the biblical vision of community. It's unity, which implies that there's going to be the other. There's going to be people with other convictions, other beliefs, other backgrounds, people who are pro-life and pro-choice, people who are Democrats, Democrats and Republicans, people who are anti-vax and who were the first in line, people who believe racism is individual and requires personal repentance and who believe it's structural and requires structural reparations. And these people are called to sit around a table with one another and love one another and become something better with one another. Now, I'm not in saying all that, trying to make a whole bunch of moral equivalencies. You know me, I, you know I have convictions. I think it's important for us to have convictions. But at the same time, I will say this, when we talk about unity and we talk about this idea of the other, we have to be willing to say, first and foremost, that person, if I got to know them, makes sense. People make sense. And if we're willing to first begin with this idea of like, what is the story, the experience, the background, the family history that has formed and shaped you into who you are, if we'll start there, we actually have the opportunity to form unity, to form a kind of community and family with one another. Uh, as opposed to, you know, just leading with what we're against, which is how a lot of the world is working right now, just leading with how I think you're wrong in these eight areas, and, and I don't see how we could ever have relationship until you come to grips with how wrong you are with these eight things. And yet, we have to understand, Paul's saying it's going to take effort, it's going to be work, it's going to be hard. In fact, he gives us uh, this phrase, it's on the screen, he says, uh, humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another. Those, think about those words. Those are hard words, right? I, I mean, I think I almost, I want to make that like my Twitter password so that every time I log on, I have to go humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, because I think it would really put me in the right mindset. Like we, we there's, there's probably people for, if you're like me, for whom those words are easy. I, I can do those things easily with certain people. I don't know why I just have a very big grace bubble for them. I just, it's like, it's okay. I'm, I'm here for the process. I love you and it's okay. And, and, and yet there are people that, that it's hard for me to do that with. And it might be because of temperament differences or clash of worldviews or probably more likely because there's some kind of prejudice or even bigotry in me. And yet there's no qualifiers in Paul's language here. He just simply says, this is how you, this is how you maintain unity, humility, gentleness, patience, what if we were just patient with one another? Like, that's a really hard thing. It's easy to be patient with, like, the other person, like the person, like the other person's spouse. It's hard to be patient with your own spouse. It's hard to be patient when it feels like their slowness is costing you. When you have a friend or a coworker whose slowness in developing and maturing and growing and becoming an emotionally healthy person is costing me, it's hard to be patient. I can be patient all day long with people that aren't costing me anything. How do we actually choose to live in this way so that we can begin to form the kind of unity? 
And I just think, like, I think, first of all, it's just good to acknowledge that the way relationships are built that match the vision of the New Testament is work. It's effort. He says, make every effort, which means that most relationships are built on thousands and thousands of tiny little decisions that no one will ever know about except you and the Holy Spirit, which is, as an Enneagram 3, infinitely frustrating. I want everyone to know about all my decisions, all the times I chose And yet, the way relationships work is you start with, like, internally, I'm choosing this person, I'm choosing this person again and again and again and again. It takes work. Community takes work. So, in other words, when we start this fall, if you decide to sign up for a neighborhood group and you drop in there and you're like, this is hard, yes, you can just, Matthew said it was hard. It takes work. It's how how the whole thing starts. It's going to take effort in order for us to begin to have the kind of relationships that we're looking for. The second thing that we see uh, in this text Paul tells us that a community is united by baptism. He says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father. And I love this idea of baptism being the thing that unites us because what it tells us is that to be a Christian and to be forming this kind of community requires that we all have the same experience. And yes, that experience involves water, but more than that, it involves what that water represents, which is that you need a bath that every person you've ever met in the world needs to be made clean, that nobody is immune to this, nobody has superseded their need for baptism, that baptism is like a, a, a sign marker over the whole human race. All people must be born again. All people must pass through the waters and become new creations and nothing less. And here's what's so great about that, is it keeps me from ever feeling like I'm better than someone else. Because we always tend to like plot ourselves on like a, a, a spectrum. And we all know that like, I know I'm not better than that person. I, I can't believe that person even needed to be baptized. But I didn't need to get as wet as that person over there, you know? And we just have this idea where we think like we are, I mean, and I know we don't say it out loud, but there are people, I know if you just did a deep dive right now in your heart, like who are the people that you're better than? Who are the people that think a certain thing, act a certain way, believe a certain way that you're better than? We just have, it's, it's, Tim Keller always used to say, and I, I, I just have always loved this, he says, you know you're getting the gospel when you respect the poor. Not pity the poor, not just have mercy for the poor, but when you respect them, when you respect their experience as being, as being valuable, as being as valuable as your experience, where you don't look, at your nose, look down your nose at them and their entitlements and their need for a hand up. And that's how you know you're getting the gospel because you understand, oh, we all had to go through the waters. We all had to have Jesus on a cross for us. Nobody was immune to this. Every person requires it. And what that does is it just forms this sort of flat level, egalitarian, equal footing on which we can now all move towards one another um, with mutual love and respect. Doesn't mean we don't have differences. Doesn't mean we don't have things that we disagree about. Doesn't mean those things don't need to be banged out in community. But We start with this. We're formed through baptism. Every one of us requires it. Thirdly, each member of a community is given gifts for the sake of others. This is maybe one of my... This is probably the most unexpected thing because you're talking about all these relational things. And then he says, and and Jesus, after he descended and ascended, he gave gifts. And he lists five gifts. Uh, He says, there are prophets and apostles and teachers and pastors and evangelists. Now, in the charismatic church, of which we have like a, some tradition in, char- in the charismatic church, we were born out of the Vineyard Church way, way back in the day. It's a long story. Come to the newcomers event. Um, the, 
uh, the charismatic church calls these the, five, the five-fold ministry of the church. And the idea is that these roles of evangelists, pastors, prophets, apostles, teachers, we tend to, in the church, hire these out. We tend to say, like, who are the people who can talk good? Okay, we'll pay you money to talk good for people. But actually, the charismatic church says, no, no, no. Every person in the church has one of these gifts, has, has, has abilities in one way or another. You may not exercise them all as publicly as some. Some of them may be very private. It might happen, say, around a table or across you know, a kitchen counter from someone as you're helping them clean up. But every one of us has certain abilities within us that actually are meant to do what Paul says, to build up the body, to, to strengthen the church. Now, if you are interested in this, I found a website this week with an assessment. I think it's called fivefoldministry.com, and you can find out which one of these am I better at. I don't know if it's helpful, and I don't, you know, but I thought, but I took it, you know, because I, I love assessments, and I think that it's actually kind of, kind of like, oh, this actually does jive with me. Because here's the whole point: like, what that means for you is that God actually has a role for you right now, and it's not simply to just show up. It's to, it's to say words that are going to be words of life, like that there's something in you right now that has a healing property for someone else in your life, and you don't have to go to seminary to find it. You don't have to know the Bible perfectly. Yes, read the Bible. It's, it's good, and the words in there help, you know, but like you, actually, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have something already right now as you are to offer to other people that is going to potentially be used by God to heal them, to call them into light. You don't have to send people to me to say these things. I want, I'll, I'll happily say them. I'll have, I, love, I love having lunch with people. I love lunch. <laughs> Jenny, Jenny also loves lunch. But listen, you, 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 are the one through whom God wants to speak and bring life and healing to the people in your community. Larry Crabb, who is a Christian psychiatrist, uh, wrote a lot of books on community and spiritual formation and so on. I, I spent a week with him in Colorado a couple of years ago at his School for Spiritual Direction and just a really wonderful man. He, he passed away this last year and uh, is now absent from the body and present with the Lord. But he wrote a book back in the 90s called Connecting that cre- created quite a stir when it came out. But this is, this is from the opening introduction of, of the book. He says, Imagine what could happen if God were to place within his people intangible nutrients that had the power both to prevent and reverse soul disease. And then he told us to share those nutrients with each other in a special kind of intimate relating called Connection. And imagine what could happen if that were true, if we believed it, and if we devoted ourselves to understanding what those nutrients were and how we could give them away. I've spent a lot of years since I first read that thinking about what that is. And there have been times where I have experienced in my, in my life like a word of, of just that, that, I, that I know like God, God did that. God, God had a word or God had something to offer to that other person. And I, I, I just, I know that when I talk about this stuff, for some of us, this feels so new and even scary and like, oh, I don't know, I, I feel in, unqualified. I'm like Moses. Like, I don't want to talk. Send Aaron. Like, it's just like, I don't want to, don't make me do it. Um, and, but how much poorer the world is and the church is when we price ourselves out of this ministry. How much poorer our community will be if you decide that you have nothing to offer. One of the things that I love so much about our prayer meetings on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which you should come to because they're great, is watching people over the last year come 
and just uh, when it was all Zoom, people would literally go and they wouldn't even turn their screen on. It was just a picture of them. They wouldn't say anything, it was just their screen. And then over time, over the course of the year, they would start to like show their face. And then, and then one day they started to pray with us. And everything is so much better when they pray. When it's not just me, you know? Like you have something to say, to offer that is a gift to the church. Jesus gave it to you. And we're all blessed when you exercise it. Which takes us to the final point. This is Jesus' plan for our life. This was his intention. If you look at what he does in the New Testament Gospels, you see that the first thing and actually the last thing Jesus does is form a community. He begins there, and then he suffers, dies, rises, and he establishes that community again, and he sends them out. As the Father has sent me, he says, so I send you. The church father, Irenaeus, says that God became as we are so that we might become as he is. It's really cool. But that's, that's what's over your life. That God became as we are so that we might become as he is. And that there is something so wonderfully rich and exciting and intimidating about that thought that right now, whatever you have waiting for you this week, and all of us have very different things waiting for us this week, that the presence of Jesus is in your body right now to take into every one of those situations. And that that is also the thing that we're meant to share with one another, that Jesus' plan for our life is community. He says it this way. He says, when we're in community, what's happening is it's like all the different parts of the body are being bound together by the ligaments. We get to experience this formation of a new body that comes out of community when Christ is the head. And when that happens, Christ is made, is made visible on, uh, in the earth. Or I'll say it this way, community is the place through which Christ is present in the city. It's not just individuals, it's actually the, the shared witness of our life with one another, with disagreements. One of the things that rattled the aristocracy of the Roman world in the first century was that they were continuing the work of Jesus, which was apparently to bring enemies together and put them around a table with one another and tell them that they were brothers and sisters now. People that should not have been hanging out. He had a zealot, like a person who was trained to kill Romans and their you know, the ambassadors, and a tax collector in the same small group. There would be like three of them and, and one of them was like, I kill tax collectors. And he was like, I'm a tax collector. And they were eating dinner with one another. And the church just understood from its beginning, this is actually what we must continue. And when you do that, especially in today's world, that is how Christ is made visible in the earth. In fact, Jesus prayed for you on the night of his crucifixion, the night of his betrayal. And his prayer for you was that you and I would be one. That's what he was thinking about as he's about to go to the cross, that you and I would come through this and we would be united on the other side of it. And so when we talk about community, we talk about something that's ultimately very hard. It takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of time and we're overextended and we're busy. And even though we live on top of each other, we do live so separate and individualistic lives and we are overcommitted and our kids play too many sports and we're addicted to too many TV shows. And yet Jesus comes to us and says, this is the way, this is my plan, this is what I have for you. This is where you'll find what you're looking for. This is actually where you'll, the world will begin to change. And so, I believe that the Spirit is calling each one of us to find that. If you don't have that, try neighborhood groups. 
They're not perfect. No community program is. If you have this, great. But this is what all of us need, are, are, are made for. If you don't know your Old Testament very well, you may always wonder, like, what, what is that banner that we're standing under? And why are we under a banner? Like, that's just weird. Um, it comes from this, uh, this line in the Old Testament poetry where the poet says, his banner over me is love. So the reason that we belong to one another is because the thing that we stand under, like the common sky that all of us are living under right now, is love. And if that's true, I think it was Einstein who said, like, the greatest question is whether or not the universe is friendly, which is a different way of saying it, but I get what he's saying. If what's most true is that the banner we stand under, the sky we live under is love, then this is actually possible. That's the ultimate end. Like, that's where things are heading. And so, Jesus, we pray that we would experience the love of heaven shining down on our heads, Lord, like the sun, raining down on our heads like rain. God, you are a God who sets a table in the wilderness, and we are in the middle of a long wilderness season. It is hard, I think, right now for some of us to imagine very much that involves flourishing right now. And yet you are the one who strikes the rock and the rivers gush out and the gullies are filled. And so Jesus, we want to make ourselves available to that work and we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, soften us where we are hard and rigid. Help us to be brave and take risks. Let us be your people to one another so that we may be your people for the sake of others. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are loved. Grace and peace to you. See you tomorrow at Foundations or Tuesday or Thursday at prayer or next Sunday. See you soon. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.